It's a way to transition and show people some love. Um, we're going to be in Matthew 28 and John 15 today. So if you have Bibles, and I do encourage you to, to bring them if at all possible. Um, don't always explain why, but to have a Bible as a companion, to learn the terrain of, of the scriptures that you read, um, it, it actually becomes such a sacred marker and a way, uh, I think, that we are to stay tethered to God and we stay tethered to his word. Um, let me just share this. Well, let me share this, a uh, couple things. One, we have had, we initiated late last year something called the Generosity Initiative. I'm not gonna go into detail what that is today, because I just want you to know that God is telling a really beautiful story around generosity in our church family. Next week, I'm gonna give a full update around that, and I can't wait to share with you some, some of what's happening there. Um, but today, I want to remind us, and I feel compelled uh, while we were worshiping in song to remind us what we're doing here. Um, what we're doing here as we gather as a church, it is... It is a rhythm that's been set forth in scripture of gathering as a church family. Uh, I don't know that it's prescripted to be weekly, but it is an ancient rhythm. Um, I think that was at one point tied to the Sabbath to gather as a church family. The primary, the primary reason that we gather, though, is to worship God. Um, I want you to know that because... We work really hard to do things. I work really hard to do things when I'm gonna share this morning. And sometimes I can even, my mind can get tricked into thinking that, that that's what it's about. It's about being able to share something and then people absorb what's sharing. And there is something beautiful about that, about taking God's word seriously and, and uh, practicing what we talk about, but that's not our primary um, we want to come around the word of God, but the word of God without the presence of God, uh, we are here to worship. And a part of how we worship is, is this. And then I just want to say something else before we go into scripture. Stages are weird. I know I've talked some of this language before, but if I'm not careful, and I believe this is not just me, it's just human nature, being on a stage and on a platform can be like drinking a little bit of poison at the same time. Um, I just want to remind us of that. that and I want to I just call out that this is a place where me and where others need to work out a lot of pride and a lot of insecurity to get it out of our systems. Um, because these, I don't even like calling them stages. You most of the time you hear me call it a platform, and I do that on purpose actually, because I think language matters. This is a place that we want to just be a place where we point all of us to Jesus. And all I am is a learner alongside of you. It's funny, as I'm we're in this five-part series, and I put this together for our church family. We have a historical vision of being a community radically committed to spiritual formation for the sake of others, and have felt compelled now that I'm a few years in to add my voice a little bit more directly to this. And so I am teaching last week and the five weeks in a row, I am teaching um, in this. And I do believe that's important, but I also wanna name what is actual reality as we go into God's word. Um, I or nobody up here is trying to put on a show or to impress you. Can we fall into that sometimes? Yes, it's not what it's about. I don't want to 
I want to invite you to lean in and to absorb it because God's word is worth it, not because somebody was good or bad at communicating. And I don't know why I shared all of that other than I felt compelled. So maybe it was a spirit, maybe not, and it annoyed you. Or maybe it's really cold and I need my long underwear. I don't know. <laughs> but here we are. Um, but I believe it. All right. So we are, and if you, you probably got a document as you came to, in today. If not, it is on our homepage, thedoor.org. You can pull it up as well. Uh, you will have the opportunity to grab one afterwards, but it's a circle. Instead of doing our, our series sort of like a linear script, it's a circle because each one plays off each other. And so I want to bring up on the screen the image. Here it is. So, um, and this is all from Scripture. The goal of this is to de detangle our discipleship from the ways of this world. Some of you feel so frustrated in your discipleship to Jesus. You, you, you know that we're called to grow into the image of Christ, yet you feel like you're actually growing more on edge and more mirroring the anxiety of the world. I do believe that, that some of these movements are things built into scripture that bring us freedom, not more obligation and guilt and those sorts of, but freedom. And so we talked about yet, um, what it means to be a disciple last week, moving from a fan to a follower of Jesus, and the two goals of a disciple, to be with our rabbi and become like our rabbi. Now we move, and you can see there's a handoff and it hands off to the next section, for God to with God. Um, I want to cast a vision of what it is to live life for God, and then I want to show you how incredibly unbiblical it is uh, to uh, let the rabbit out of the hat. Is it cat out of the bat? I don't remember. And, uh, and then what it means to actually do life with God. And so we're talking about withness more this week. That's going to naturally flow into next week when we talk about the fruits of the Spirit in factories to fields and so on as we go um, around the circle. So that being said, um, today the next movement, living life for God um, versus living life with God or moving from for God to with God, uh, we are in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. It's cold. We're going to get the blood pumping a little bit and we're going to honor God's word. If you're able to, will you stand with me as we read God's word together? <clears throat> And in Matthew chapter 28, we're going to read verses 16 to the end of the chapter. And let's just quiet ourselves for a moment. And we can prepare our hearts to really hear, not me, but God's word. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to a mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Thank you, Jesus, for your word and inhabit this space with your holy presence. Give us an awareness of your presence already with us. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. You can be seated. <sighs> it's a good thing to do in the winter, isn't it? Um, okay, what I'd like to do now is I'd like to, uh, I'm going to start by, anybody see the Wizard of Oz? There's a tin man that wants a heart. Uh, we're going to build a tin man, and, and, um, and we're going to talk about the mechanics of life with God. And then at the very end, um, we're going to bring it back to the heart. We're going to put the beating heart inside that tin man so that we remember what it's actually all about. And, uh, and let's start with this. I want to cast a vision for you of what it means to live life for God. Um, and it seems good on the, service, on the surface. Live, I want to live for God. It seems really good on the surface. Uh, and in many ways, I, it, some of it's semantics. If you've said that before, you probably actually did mean something good. So don't carry any guilt around that. But um, let me cast a vision for it. Somebody living life for God may believe that Jesus died for their sins. They are forgiven and they will go to heaven someday. And the song that came to mind is, I'll fly away. I'll fly away. And when I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. And I just, I don't know what I picture, but we're just hovering. Um, and, and, and I don't like that song. Um, <laughs> some of you do, I'm sorry. It's great. Um, but it's just so incomplete. And, and meanwhile, while you're on earth, before you fly away, uh, you acknowledge this, that you have been given a mission and your mission is to make disciples. So go make it happen. Get to it. Make it happen. And that's our mission. And we have a book. And this book shows us how to live. We are called to live this life that looks like Jesus. Go do it. Good luck. And we have a community, the church. Let's go change the world together. So it's not just let's make it happen on my own church. Let's go change the world together. Let's make it happen. Living life for, for God. And, my, and, and so how does prayer play into this vision of, of living life for God? In this vision of life lived for God, prayer is a kind, kind of like sending word from the front lines, giving God updates on what's happening in our lives. We're sending word. It's very transactional because sometimes we need reinforcements. Help, you know? I, I'm sending word. God, you're, you're in the command central. Um, will you send reinforcements? We need help. Raise your hand if you need a little help. Anybody? Okay, me too. Um, and that's what prayer can kind of be, this transactional sort of prayer life. Here's the problem. The problem is that that is not Christianity, at least not the one that Jesus described in Scripture. And it's tricky because it, it smells a lot like the Christian faith. You smell it, it has a lot of the same components. But it's like this, and here's my weird mind. It's like you're on a football team, and you're, you're on the field, and you have coaches, and you, and you have all the gear, and you're with your team, and you're running around. You're even yelling. There's fans in the, you're in the stands. You're even yelling, I'm playing football, but you don't have a ball. Or it's like this. Here's another sort of Minnesota example, one of my favorite hobbies. You, you're, you're, you're sitting in a canoe. You got your sunscreen on. You have a paddle in your hand, and you're, I mean, you're just 
you're rowing and your canoe's in the driveway. <laughs> or here's another example that I, that I came up with. This is genius. Um, <laughs> a jelly donut and you bite into it and there's no jelly. It's not a jelly donut. Okay, what is the one thing that all of these ridiculous examples have in common? They're missing the one thing that makes them what they are. The football team is missing the football. The person canoeing is missing the water. Um, The jelly donut's missing the jelly. And I submit to you in the same way, Christian life without the abiding nearness of the presence of God is not the life that Jesus intended for you to live or for me to live. The story of scripture begins with this witness, this beautiful witness in the garden between humans and their creator. And that witness is broken because creator who set in motion an order, mankind didn't wanna go by that order, they wanted to go by their own order because that's what we do. And that witness was broken because of rebellion. We wanted to go our own way. We stepped off the path of life. God is like this, and we're like, no, this way. We're stubborn. Humans are stubborn. Um, I'm stubborn. And and you can actually track the whole story of Scripture with the word with. Because you move all the way to Jesus, and I'm simplifying it, but Emmanuel. Jesus is called Emmanuel. God with us. It's God entering into our brokenness so that we could be redeemed and that withness could be restored. And so I, I submit to you in this, the Christian life without the abiding nearness of the presence of God is not the life Jesus intended for us. The, the central thing that makes Christianity what it is There's lots of religions with a sacred book. There's lots of religions with community. What makes our faith what it is is the presence of the living God with us. And and, and, and if you don't have like that in mind as a disciple of Jesus, and if that's something that um, isn't being fostered in your life, there will be a growing frustration in your faith. Um, I experience this from time to time because I'm not saying like there's some people who get it and some people that don't. No, all of our drift, I, I really believe this. I know I'm generalizing, but I can speak for myself. My drift is to forgetting that God is with me. This frustration can become the baseline of faith when we forget that that. When, when, we, when we begin to step away from the garden and stop nurturing this awareness of God's presence, this frustration sets in and this pressure increases, this religious pressure increases on it. And, and I just, that's not the life. One that Jesus invites us into, but also that Jesus, our rabbi, modeled for us. And I, I just wanna, uh, two quotes that help bring a little credibility to this. You may have read some of you practicing the presence of God, this old book by Brother Lawrence, and, and he says this, the most holy and important practice in the spiritual life is the presence of God. 
That is every moment to take great pleasure that God is with you. Timothy Keller said this, to stand in the presence of God, that is what the gospel is. The gospel is not primarily about forgiveness. It is not primarily about good feelings. It's not primarily about power. All those things are byproducts, sparks. It is primarily about the presence of God. And so when we read Matthew 28, 16 through 20, um, this great commission uh, piece of scripture, I love it for so many reasons. I love that it begins. These are some of Jesus's, all of his words are important, but these are very important words as he's sending these 11 disciples out on this, this, into this mission. But, but not just that, these, these words echo down through um, history and meet us here today and become our mission and... And in that passage, with these important words being spoken, it said, some doubted. Some worship, some doubted. And I'm just so grateful for that. Anybody else? I'm so grateful that the Bible's filled with human beings uh, like you and me and that God's grace meets us where we're at. So if you carry a lot of doubts, the Bible is like for you and for me. And, and, then, and then scripture says that we're to make disciples. Well, there's a lot to say about that, you know, and we talked about what a disciple is last week, and, and you can go back if you weren't here. I do want to encourage you to take part in these five weeks, and if you travel, to watch it online because they hand off to each other. Um, but a disciple wants to be with and become like our rabbi. It is the call of a rabbi, Jesus the rabbi. And so we're inviting people to be with and become like Jesus in a way. And, um, but what I really want to talk to you about today is this, this line, this last line in here where Jesus says, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus teaches or scripture teaches that there are, that history breaks down into two ages. Um, there is this present age, which scripture calls many different things, uh, um, this present evil age, uh, it, it can be called, uh, it is this timeline um, and eventually there is an age to come. And the age to come isn't when we fly away. The age to come is the new heavens and the new earth. It was in heaven and earth come together, a, a renewal, a regeneration, a revival, a making old things new. Uh, it, is when, it is when the life of God is breathed into all of creation and corruption is dispelled and it is light that will penetrate darkness, not just in part like we experience now, but in its fullness. That's the age to come. And many followers of Jesus live a life that really, really does believe that they will be in the presence of God in the age to come. But what Jesus says is that I will be with you to the end of this age, this age here, right, like right now. And we know in scripture that that's through G Jesus as a human, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment, is <laughs> not omnipresent, couldn't be with everybody at once. I, he said, I needed to go. I'm going to send the spirit, my spirit, the Holy Spirit. God's presence is with us now. And I know it's a lot to take in, but we do commune with the living God, with Jesus himself through the presence of the Holy Spirit, we believe this, this is what scripture teaches, and it is our experience. But in order to understand this kind of withness that Jesus talks about, we're gonna take a, a closer look at the word with, and then we're gonna look at one of the passages of scripture that casts 
probably one of the, definitely one of the clearest visions of spiritual formation, which is on our wall, which is our vision, but also this withness, uh, what it looks like to be with God right now. And so the word with uh, is this word meta in the Greek, and it means this. So when you think of the word with, you can think of all sorts of things, uh, but this is what it means. It means companionship or union, companionship or union. One of the clearest visions of what this companionship or union looks like is a metaphor because what metaphors do is they expand our imagination around the possibilities. It welcomes us into an ocean of what this actually means. And that's what metaphors do. They appeal to our imagination that way. And so Jesus speaks in a lot of metaphors. So we're gonna look at John 15, um, verses five through 10. I do wanna encourage you to read the whole chapter, maybe even this week, but verses five through 10 really capture this uh, beautifully. John 15, see, where are we at? There we are. Here's what it says. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And if you do not remain in me, you will be like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown in the fire and burned. In other words, true life that sustains us comes from Jesus. And if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And next week, when we look at Galatians 5, Paul plays right off this metaphor of Jesus when he talks about the fruits of the Spirit But this week, this is the invitation right here to to live into this kind of witness, withness with the living God. We're gonna talk about what that looks like and we're gonna talk about how we can nurture that in our lives. So there'll be some application here, but this is an invitation to not wait until the age to come. I can't wait for the age to come. I don't know what it'll be like. I don't know if I'll be able to fly. I don't know. I think all sorts of things. And sometimes I got this little kid brain stuck inside this body and it gets me really excited for reasons that aren't the main thing, which is the presence of God in its fullness, which is going to be this, the, the central beauty of that. Um, I, I can't, I, I'm gonna stop talking. There's so much that we could just imagine about that. How many of you let your minds wander? What is it gonna be? Like the body is resurrected, like, oh my goodness. Um, but we are invited to embrace life with God now, moving from living for God to learning how to abide with God. And that, that, please listen, that is such, I believe, in our Western culture, a missing component in our discipleship to Jesus, and it is the main thing. It will revolutionize. Nurturing, abiding, with the living God will revolutionize your faith and your life. It's not a switch that you flip. Remember, we're talking about abiding, it's talking about plants and organic material. It grows over time. So you're not gonna go, man, I'm gonna practice abiding. Boom, wow, my life has changed. 
You're going to watch a tree grow, and it's going to grow slow. And if you're committed not to a journey of speed, but if you're committed to the long process of spiritual formation and communion with the living God, it will revolutionize you and those around you. It will change your life. And, and so, let's look a little bit deeper at what this kind of witness looks like. Here's what it's not saying. I want to show you three pictures. Here's the first picture. Here's what it's not saying. Now, I love this picture. I, I typed in parent holding hands with child, and this is one of them. That, I love this picture. And I do believe, in a sense, there is a, a parental, like, beautiful connection with it as a child of God. I absolutely believe that. But that's not what this scripture here is pointing us to. Maybe you think about footprints in the sand. <laughs> Sorry. Um, if that went over your head, it's, it's okay. Um, it's, it's not, in this next picture, here's another picture. It's not talking about this. Um, Jesus, take the wheel. Like, uh, I, I need you to drive my life. Um, it's not talking about that kind of witness. It's not like holding hands witness. It's not talking about that kind of witness. Now, there's some truth in both of those, but the witness here, the picture that Jesus paints, looks like this. Okay, look at that picture for a second. As you're looking at that picture, and Jesus talks about the vine and the branches here, um, how much more connected can you get than being the same plant? So you can see how a metaphor widens our imagination, and it actually calls us to ask questions that bring more mystery. God wants to be that connected to us um, where our very life flows from the life of God. Uh, so close. If you see a picture like that, it's hard to s- discern where, if, if he's the vine, where the branches, where does the vine stop and the branches begin? Where does God stop and I begin? There's this beautiful interconnectedness and closeness that's so mysterious. And in that, More on this in the future. The fruit of our life is a direct result, not of how hard you can try. Moralism, I gotta figure out how to do this on my own. Jesus sent me out. I gotta figure out how to make it happen, how to live this life, how to be on this mission. But out of this place, you can't help but grow fruit. It just flows from a direct connectedness to God. And it seems in our Western culture, anti-productive because it is not how the world works. That's not how you produce in the world. And again, more on that next week. A few thoughts on why living with God matters and then a little crash course on a place, on a place you can start to, to practice. Very imperfectly, but it may help somebody. Um, Why does it matter? Uh, It matters because this is how Jesus lived. Now I wanna bring you through some really important aspects of how this breaks out when it comes to following Jesus as our rabbi. This is how Jesus lived. The life that Jesus is calling us to is how Jesus actually lived. Why? Because a rabbi calls people to follow them because they believe those people can do, become like them. 
And, and so Jesus set an example that we can actually follow. Let me say that again. Jesus set an example for us that we can actually follow. A lot of people push back on that. <laughs> In other words, um, some argue, well, we cannot follow Jesus' ex- example of living because he knew everything. You just point at something and it would wither or heal. He could do anything. We cannot follow Jesus' example. Some, some would argue. And I just lovingly disagree. Do I believe we'll ever reach perfection in our lives that we live in this age? No, <laughs> I don't believe. But I do believe that Jesus set an example we can actually follow and over time grow more and more into. We're not talking about a rival here. We're talking about a plant growing. It's not about a rival. It's not about this ultimate outcome. It is about growing into over time. And I do believe Jesus set an example. And I, I wanna show you where this is at in scripture. Um, Jesus, I'm gonna make some big statements and we're gonna look at scripture. Jesus didn't know everything when he walked this earth. <clears throat> don't, don't throw anything at me yet. Um, here's another one. Uh, he didn't know everything on his own and he could not do miracles on his own when he walked this earth. Now I'm gonna turn, uh, and I just wanna encourage you to write the passage down, but it's in Philippians chapter two. We're gonna look at a really important passage in regards to this. Philippians chapter two, this became a hymn of the early church. That's what this is. It's, it's kind of like poetry, and it starts out in verse five. It says, and our, your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So you can see even Paul is calling us to be like our rabbi, Right? Who being, it's talking about Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name that at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now built into this wonderful piece of scripture, we see that Jesus, when he became human, we'll see how this plays out, he laid down his rights as God. He did not lay down his identity The identity is still intact. Jesus is fully God and fully man. And here's how we know that we're interpreting this passage right by saying that, that Jesus laid down, in a sense, his his rights as God to to act with with the power of God uh, whenever he wanted uh, and those sorts of things. But he did not lay down his identity. He couldn't do that. Here's how we know. Because Jesus was not, when he walked this earth, was not omniscient, which means Jesus didn't know everything at once because Jesus put himself in a human brain. And these computers up here are pretty awesome, but they cannot contain the mysteries of the universe. 
They have limits. We know that Jesus grew and knew, had a lot of insights, and, we, we, and I'll explain where that came from in a moment, but um, we, we know that, but we also know Jesus grew and learned. Jesus didn't come out of the womb and go, hey, mom and dad, let me tell you a few things. That would be creepy. And I would think Mary would have sang about that too. Um, I would have sang about that. Uh, very, very scary song. Okay, um, but we also know that Jesus wasn't omnipresent because Jesus had to travel. He actually had to walk places. He wasn't everywhere at once. So we know he laid down like his rights. This, this, or, or what about the word omnipotent? This all-powerful reality that's God. Well, we know Jesus wasn't all-powerful in that way because nails went through his hands and feet. And a crown of thorns brought blood down. He died on a cross. He wasn't bulletproof. Sometimes we can look at Jesus in a way and go, how can we follow Jesus? He's like some comic book hero. We can never be that. There's a reason why God became man, fully God and fully man. To set an One of the reasons to set an example we could follow, actually follow. Um, and... and uh, and I, here's a question that came to my mind. How cruel would it be if Jesus was just posing as a rabbi to play a trick on you? He's walking this earth. He's like, follow me. And people are following him going, oh, a rabbi asked me to follow him? Historically, that means I can become like that rabbi. And, and, and Jesus, meanwhile, is thinking to himself, they can never become like me. Follow me. How cruel would that be? If Jesus invited us to follow, but we could never actually grow over time. Again, not into perfection, we'll never arrive at Jesus' state, but become like Jesus, like grow into the character of Jesus and, and do some of what Jesus did on this earth. So here's what scripture teaches. In John, are you guys with me? Okay, cool. Uh, here's what scripture teaches in John chapter five, um, verses uh, 19 through 20. I want to read this to you because there's two, two pieces to this I want to point out before we get to the heart of it. In John chapter 5, verses 19, Jesus says this. He gave them an answer. So the whole context here. He said, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He's talking about himself. Jesus says, I can do nothing by myself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. And you see built into this passage, this is actually considered like a short parable or an illustration of an apprentice relationship between a father and son in the ancient Near Eastern culture. It's not the same, the relationship between God and Jesus, but Jesus is bringing this down into language that they can understand. Basically, what Jesus is saying, fully God becomes fully man. He's not executing this plan on his own. In fact, Jesus, the Son, is led by God the Father. And I know when we start talking Trinity language, it's hard to fit into our tiny brains. And I don't say that because some of you have bigger brains than all of us have tiny brains compared to God. And in fact, it took hundreds of years to even come up with that one metaphor, Trinity, because it is so hard. I'm so glad we can't contain the mysteries of God in our brains because that would be way more scary. But in this 
passage, we see that the will of Jesus was submitted to the Father. And it's important because even when Jesus was praying in the garden, will you take this cup from me? Like Jesus is actually, in a sense, in that moment, his feelings are boiling over. I don't want to go to the cross. But Jesus does out of love and out of obedience. It's this wild picture. Remember that Jesus is our rabbi. We follow Jesus' example of being led. And in this, God does not send us out on a mission to just go make it happen. If we're truly gonna follow Jesus' example as a rabbi, God is already on mission in this world and telling a story long before you and I came on the scene. So what God does is God invites us into the story that God is already telling Here's why this is important, uh, many reasons. The, the term here is uh, provenient grace. It is this grace that goes before. It is God that is moving before us, ahead of us. It's so important. Um, I, I think about this term because sometimes we can fall into this trap as, a, as an individual or even as a church. God, here's my strategic plan. Will you bless it? Will you bless it? We can fall into this as a church too because there's expectations. We live in this culture. We gotta move fast. We gotta make things happen. And so we can, we can let that pressure lead us instead of the spirit and we can put together an awesome plan how to conquer the world, how to make things happen, how to build a big, beautiful church. God, will you bless this plan? Will you bless this plan? That's not what it's talking about here. Now Jesus sets an example of the father going ahead, the father showing Jesus Fully God becomes fully man. Not 50% God, 50% man, fully God and fully man. And, and, and there's this relationship, this, this leadership that we see while Jesus was on earth and it's fascinating um, in this. Uh, so in this, the, the, the image that comes to mind is this. Life with God is not us taking God along with us. It's not here's my life. God, come along with us. Life with God is God taking us along with him. Do you see the difference there? It's a, it's, a, it's a profound, okay. One will produce a culture of speed and pressure and the other will produce a culture of prayer and freedom. If we're ahead of God saying, God, come with us into the life that we want, there's gonna be speed. We're gonna, we're gonna live the ways of the world. We're gonna try to move fast. I heard one, one pastor say recently, Regarding church life, the fastest speed, the slowest speed we go is fast. And it broke my heart. Um, because this other posture is so, it's foolishness to the world. Because it is a path of slowness where we're actually, we are desperate to stay anchored in prayer as a church community, even as an individual, because we want God's vision for our life. God is our, we don't have to ask God's blessing when we're moving into a story God has already blessed. And so, um, so much I could say there. I'm gonna continue on though. Um, Jesus, the son is, the second part is, is led by the father, but also empowered by the Holy Spirit. I know this, this is wild, but this is what scripture teaches. Jesus emptied himself, became a man, and in that completely yielded himself to the will of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, he did not preach in his own strength, in his own human strength. He did not do miracles in his own human strength. He did not love his enemies in his own human strength. 
by the power of the Spirit, we see uh, Jesus preaching, healing, love, living. And what Jesus has that we are learning to live into that we will, will never arrive at in this age is this perfect unity. This perfect unity. The triune God has this perfect unity. And we're growing and we're learning what that unity looks like in, in our life. But Jesus invites us. And this is why Jesus being a role model is not enough. I'm gonna say it again. Jesus being your role model is not enough. Jesus being your role model is not enough. Why? Good luck. Good luck becoming like Jesus. Um, good luck living like Jesus in your own strength. Good luck loving, doing, following Jesus' teachings. In your, good luck loving your enemies in your own strength. Good luck. And this is good news because we don't need to make something happen for God. We simply need to be obedient to how God is working. Before our gathering here today, there's a group of people we pray together and in the window room, that big room out there. If you ever wanted to just come in and hang out with us when we pray, uh, 20, or 920, I think we gather there, you're welcome to come pray with us. It's a lot of volunteers who are serving for the weekend and we create a little space to listen. And we don't know, when we're practicing listening, thoughts come to mind. Sometimes we don't know if it's God or not, but we're gonna, instead of saying it's probably not, we're trying to exercise our faith and say, what if it is? And one theme that just was coming up as people were talking was trust, that God might be inviting us to trust as a church family. And what came to my mind in that was how many trust issues do we have with relationships? So God coming close, us doing life with God, maybe we have a lot of, maybe there's some trust issues here with God. If that's you, you're not weird, you're a human. But maybe that's, that's one way that we actually practice God's presence and being led by the Spirit Spirit of God. And what's cool in that too, it, it's, it's good news because it's freedom. So let's say there's somebody that we're praying with. You don't need to make anything happen. We don't need to make anything happen. We don't have to hold any outcomes. We open up space. We, we're, we're trying to listen. We're trying to be led. But if we're praying for somebody, we trust that God is, whether it's an instantaneous miracle or something God does over the course of their life, that we believe that God is telling a story in their life. And we just want to partner with that story. And we're holding, we're not trying to, I'm up here preaching. I, I sometimes gotta get out of the mindset of I'm trying to make something happen in your lives, in my life. No, no. The outcome, it's okay. Like, how you respond and, and what happens, it, those outcomes are God's, not my responsibility with our individual life as well. Okay, so let's move to the heart of this. Uh, so far, we've talked about the mechanics of life lived with God, but the tin man needs a heart. And the mechanics matter very little without the beating heart of this whole thing of living life with God. And the beating heart is this overused word in our culture called love. Everybody say love. I love pizza. I love you. The word can mean a lot of things. But it is, it is love. And here's what I want to say at the end of this. And then we're going to cast a vision of love and practice this a little bit as to how. Um, God wants to be with you and me. That's the heart of this. God will send us on mission. God wants to move through us, but 
the heart of this as we read in scripture is God wants to be with you and wants, and wants to be with me. Um, that little song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, is so true. Jesus loves you. I don't care how much you've heard that, how old it is. I just pray that simple term, Jesus loves you, God, will you give us fresh ears for that today? Fresh ears, Holy Spirit, give us fresh ears for what that means. Let me put it like this. God's presence with us all the time for some people seems really scary. Have you ever been in a situation where you're like, I hope God's not watching? Have you? I have. And and this idea that God sees your life and my life all the time, that you have no secrets with God, none, can be scary. But I submit to you that it actually highlights the profound nature of God's love for us. And here's why. Another quote, this whole idea of being fully known and fully loved is so transformative and it's something that we can't experience with anyone else on earth other than the living God. Here's a quote. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. Think of like a celebrity. Cool, people love me. Um, it's comforting, but it's superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. And you know that, it's my greatest fear. That I let somebody in so close and they see who I really am and they don't love me. But to be fully known, fully known and truly loved is well, a lot like being loved by God. Is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from our pretense It humbles us out of our self-righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. And being fully known, being fully loved, highlights the first aspect of how we practice the presence of God. And it begins, and I just wanna encourage us towards a posture when it comes to that. Because there are people that we get around and we close down. And then there are people we get around we feel very safe and we open up. Think of somebody you feel really safe around. Does somebody come to mind? You just feel really safe around them? Think about it. Think about the person that you get around and you close up. In this idea, when interacting with God's presence in prayer, our posture changes because of love. And I believe that for many followers of Jesus, many Christians, prayer is boring. And I think maybe it's because maybe we're not actually praying. Um, It's more of this talking at God, not with God. More of this mechanical, transactional sort of thing. Like sending word to God from the front lines of living the human life. I need reinforcements. But when we, or maybe it's like talking to God, maybe you've done this before, you edit and you hold back because how you actually feel, maybe towards God or towards life or towards another human being, doesn't feel very Christian. So you edit or you hold back. You're like, dear God, (laughs) help me to love. And you would never say, I hate John. So we edit, we hold back, 
as if God doesn't know what you're actually feeling and as, as if God can't handle your honesty. And so two examples real quick. One I'll just point you to, and you can look in scripture for the sake of time. Jesus' prayer life had no filter. And it's so amazing to read about the prayer life of Jesus. Jesus actually expressed how he was feeling in all of its rawness and some of its uncomfortable, if you really peel back the layers. But what I wanna point you to is, have you ever read the book of Psalms? Raise your hand if you've read the book of Psalms. Anybody? Weird book, weird book of the Bible. Has anybody ever read the whole thing through? Okay, if you don't just take the pretty parts, but read the whole thing through, it will disturb you. And there's a reason why in seminary it teaches you to not build a theology, um, not to build little theology out of the book of Psalms. No, that sounds weird. Uh, but, but here's why. Because there's a lot of bad theology and bad ideas in the Psalms. A lot of good theology, but there's a lot of bad theology. Why? Because this book was ordained in a sense as a template to teach us to pray and approach the living God. And here's what it holds. It holds an honesty. These are real human beings coming to God with their unedited self. So when we see the psalmist share all these feelings of revenge or God is distant or hate towards human beings or murderous thoughts, um, we, we, we don't actually need to moralize those feelings or desires. We don't need to moralize them. Um, what we do is actually just bring where we are actually at before the living God, realizing that God meets us where we are, not where we wish we were. We don't have to edit before the Lord. We don't have to edit before the Lord, and then we allow God to reshape us. All that said, prayer is not a place to act good, but a place to be honest. Prayer is not a place, it is a place to come out of hiding and realize you and me, we are fully known and fully loved. Amen? Okay, so I wanna invite you into a practice now, okay? And uh, it's sort of a m- microcosm of something we've been talking about, but I think will be helpful. If God's presence is with us, then abiding doesn't begin with trying to get to God. Abiding in God begins with us developing an awareness of God's presence already with us. One of the, there's an ancient way of practicing this, of holding to the truths of scripture, and it's called a rule of life. Anybody ever hear that term before, a rule of life? Actually, an ancient practice. Not rules for life, plural, a rule for life. Now, there's many ways you can define it, I wrote a very simple definition of this that I wanna share with you today. And again, there's so much more you could explore, but it's this. It's an ancient practice of setting a schedule in relational rhythms that makes space for interacting with and fostering an awareness of God's presence. So, the question comes to mind. What are the disciplines or habits that shape our lives around abiding? Uh, Now, we have... Throughout the course of our year, we'll have, you know, we've had retreats about developing a rule of life and all sorts of things, but now we're just keeping it really simple. Um, for me, I will just tell you, this is a practice. We'll talk about that in the coming weeks. It's not perfection. Um, and it changes all the time. And, and I have a wonderfully big family compared to a lot of people. And so life is, sometimes those rhythms get thrown off and you have your rhythms thrown off for different reasons 
But there's rhythms I try to hold to, and one of those rhythms is I want to experience some solitude, some silence in the morning, just realizing God is with me. Sometimes the Lectio practice, we we handed out last week, and they're up here if you want them at the end of our gathering. Uh, It's this way that we can be with God's presence and in God's word at the same time. I love doing that in the Psalms. Um, A lot of times I have an alarm that goes off in the middle of the day. Uh, around noon, remember God. Oh God, you're with me. A reset, a pause in the middle of the day. Sometimes it can be a long prayer. Sometimes it can be just an awareness. I, I want to spend time with Jesus, even if it's short, before I go to bed. I'm not, I'm, what I'm not trying to do is create a prescription for you. Here, here's what I'm trying to do here. Sabbath, we're in the practice of Sabbath. It's another way that you can explore um, uh, I want to just in, invite you to start somewhere with your schedule. Because when our schedule reflects the practice of God's presence, here, here's what happens for me. I am in, more increasingly aware of God with me through the rest of my day. And it is in, totally imperfect. That's why it's practice, not perfection. But for you, don't compare yourself to other people. Don't compare yourself to me. I just want to encourage you to make a decision to start somewhere with your schedule. Now here's what I wanna do because I'm resisting going into all sorts of ways you can do this. Um, Many of you might know and have an imagination for that. If you do not have an imagination for that, this is what came to my mind. Um, Will you reach out? Will you email us, info at the door.org? Whether it's one of our pastors or one of our elders or somebody within our church family, we will figure out a way to connect you with somebody who can imagine with you what it's like to embed simple practices in your day that you won't, that, 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 that you can continue to foster an awareness of God's presence. We'd love to pray with you, be with you in that. In the weeks to come, we're gonna talk about the profound grace that God has for us in our practicing, but for today, let's pause and practice now. I wanna invite our worship team to come up and uh, Stephanie and I were having dinner last night and uh, we are just talking about creating some space today. What would it be like to create some space today to just practice this together? Very simply. Um, and so let me just ask a couple questions. Here's, here's what, what I want you to imagine for a moment. It's not imagination. It's actually truth. I believe it. That God is actually attending to and with each one of us, even if you're online. You can be outside of a sanctuary and God's still with you. Um, And it's really more about our awareness of God. So here we go. How does it feel um, talking about the the practice of being with God? This whole thing that we talked about, how does that feel? Like really, what emotion does it bring up? Maybe you don't feel any at all. You feel kind of apathetic or maybe you feel excited. Tell God. Right now, maybe, even, maybe you need to not even look at me right now for a moment. Tell God the feelings that stirred up in you during our time today. What seems complicated or insurmountable about learning how to be with God? Can I encourage you to actually name that right now 
to God? Name it. I'm really distracted. I feel alone when I pray. I don't know that you're there. Um, I'm really inconsistent. I don't want to fail at something. What seems insurmountable? Just tell God. Maybe there's someone here today you just really don't believe that God loves you the way we talked about. You know, you can express that to God. He knows it, whether you express it or not. Let me ask you this. What about the invitation today? What about this invitation is beautiful and gives you joy and peace? <laughs> what about this made you go, yeah? It's right now between you and God. Don't look at me. Name, name it. Name it. A lot of times, practicing the presence of God is this being present where I'm actually at, naming it and listening. There's so much more to it that we can learn and grow in. It's a good starting point. Let's do this. Let's all stand together. Church family, um, we're gonna end a little weird today out of that practice. Anybody okay with that? If you're not, I don't care. Um, here's what happened. Uh, a couple weeks ago, maybe, my kitchen was filled with teenagers baking things. And in that setting, they started to sing a song and they just started jumping everywhere. And it was so fun. And it was a song of gratitude to Jesus. And so I reached out to my friend Hunter and I said, let's just end one of our gatherings that way, that way. And we picked this one. And here's why we picked this one. Because this is good news worth celebrating <laughs> that God is with us. And I also just feel really compelled to tell you there is something else that you can do in God's presence is you can have fun. I am all about the naming my feelings, good, bad, everywhere in between. But you know in your most joyous moments, God hasn't left you. You can have fun in the Lord's presence. And that's how we're gonna end today. We're gonna celebrate this good news that though we couldn't make our way to God, God has come to us. That Jesus has wants to continue to lead us and give us a vision for life and has sent his spirit to empower us to actually be able to grow in the character, the likeness, and the life that Jesus modeled for us. Can I hear an amen? amen. 